0: This is one of an ongoing lecture series on journalism sponsored by the Press Enterprise, California's complete quality Inland Empire newspaper. Shortly before I left my job as curator of the Neiman Journalism Fellowships at Harvard last year, the Virginia Press Association invited me to deliver a talk about the future of journalism, specifically they asked me to talk about how journalism could compete in the mixed-media world of cyberspace. Mother Nature defeated technology and I was unable to deliver the speech. Uh, Fittingly it was fog that defeated technology. I say fittingly because most thinking about the future of journalism seemed pretty foggy as well and now A decade of infatuation with all manner of dot-coms and e-things is lifting a little bit and the outlines of journalism's future don't seem quite so obscure. More now than ever before we are beginning to realize that we are in a world of babbling voices marinated in advertising and entertainment what I call advotainment news and it's becoming clear that in that world the simple virtue of reliable, verified information becomes increasingly distinctive, inherently more valuable. What I believe then and what I still believe is that the future is in the hands of journalists who realize the new technology is only a tool to tell the important stories that have always found an audience. In the new book that Marcia mentioned, Tom Rosenstiel and I uh, have written. The title is uh, The Elements of Journalism. We quote John Seely Brown, the former director of Xerox Think Tank in Silicon Valley, as he explains the insights and the experience which have told him that serious journalism is ever more necessary in the new world created by the revolution in communications technology. What we need in the new economy and the new communications culture, he says, is sense-making. We have a desperate need to get some stable points in an increasingly crazy world. John Seeley Brown is talking about the value added to information when it has been selected for its relevance and significance, when it has been verified and when it has been put into a meaningful context, when it has in short, when its information on which acts of journalism have been committed. Far from being made obsolete by the new competitive atmosphere, the principles of journalism forged over three centuries are precisely the values most needed in a world awash in an ever-expanding information, information in new and distracting forms. There are those who might consider this notion a little elitist, the gatekeeper left over from an era when only a few outlets controlled public access to information. These are the dismissive voices you hear demanding the old dinosaur journalist as mediator get out of the way and let the market work its magic. Voices that like Bobby McFerrin tell us just don't worry be happy. The public square provided by the internet will they say provide the free and open debate that our founding fathers envisioned. Markets, they say, not journalism, will decide what is best. And in some ways, their argument is correct. The Internet has ushered in a true age of open debate. And at least superficially, it seems logical that we should be able to rely on the debate in this marketplace to sort out the truth. But only a few years of experience in this new marketplace has given us a different picture. Rather than in an enlightened public square, we find ourselves in an echo chamber in which gossip, shouted assertion, commercial self-interest, political spin, shoulder-aside verification. The public square is dedicated not to the creation of an engaged citizenry, but to the creation of commercial and political consumers. Some news organizations have accepted the idea that news has become a commodity agreeing with Wall Street analyst who says there is currently an overabundance of news programming with supply easily outstripping demand. Accepting this view has become a destructive has had a destructive consequence for journalism for it shifts the focus away from content to form. If corn is the same competition revolves around the design of the label or the constant self-promotion to create a buzz in the marketplace. Television networks especially have found this argument attractive for it creates a rationale to reduce the cost of requiring a network of correspondents and crews to develop deeper more nuanced news reports. Primetime news magazines largely ignore news, ignore areas such as education, foreign affairs, social welfare and instead feature lifestyle celebrity entertainment and crime. The nightly newscasts follow suit with less reported news on the work of civic institutions to more entertainment and celebrity attraction. In, the 19, in 1999, ABC television reduced the number of its news correspondents by 10 percent. Most of those let go were reporters with clear expertise in covering specific substantive beats while negotiating a new contract with celebrity political operative turned pundit George Stephanopoulos who according to ABC News President David Weston was now recasting himself as a reporter. In other words, reporters who actually went out to discover what's really going on in government offices was being replaced by a former government official who would speculate on what might be going on. Did you happen to mark the first act of the newly merged conglomerate AOL Time Warner in January? Singled out for cost-cutting were the reporters at CNN, reporters like Aviation and Transportation Specialist Carl Rochelle, National Correspondent Dan Ronan, Congressional Correspondent Chris Black. As these reporters, whose jobs was to gather new facts for CNN's broadcasts, were being dismissed, the network was announcing more news shows in which pundits and guests would talk about what might be going on in the world around us. In other words, the kind of marketplace CNN appears intent on creating now will be filled not with more and better news about what is happening in the world but with more guessing, more speculation, and more argument about what might go on. All in all, we're rapidly building a world of television news whose well of articulate, reliable, factual information is not being constantly replenished, but one which becomes more polluted with gossip, rumor, and speculation. This is a market that is toxic to civic health is a market which will produce a public less and less able to participate in civic life. This is a market which makes it more and more likely that self-appointed elite will be left free to exercise its will on society. It's what I call the Chauncey Depew approach to to news. Chauncey Depew was a 19th century New York politician whose speeches were described this way. He would launch a veritable army of words to wander aimlessly across the landscape until they came across an isolated fact, which they then carried kicking and screaming in their midst until it died of overuse. <laughs> Regardless of the obvious flaws in the arguments of the high priests of the marketplace, there's little doubt it is the world in which journalism must exist and must contend. Market demand is clearly the most powerful force shaping society today. So it's in the interest of a journalism of reliable, timely, proportional, and comprehensive news to worry about creating a market demand for that kind of journalism. Supply and demand, demand for quality journalism, based on citizens first, the first step in that direction has to be developing a means of letting those who make up that market finally see how the sausage is made, how we do our work, and what informs our decisions. And if the principle that the journalist's primary allegiance to the citizen is to have any meaning, journalists must invite their audience into the process by which they produce the news. How? By taking pains to make themselves and their work as transparent as they insist on making the people and the institutions of power that they cover. This sort of approach invites the audience to judge the principles by which the journalists do their work and to compare this with the other choices available. Most importantly it gives the public an opportunity to begin to distinguish journalism from gossip, propaganda, or other self-interested information. In this sense citizens would bear some responsibility for the news they get but the way journalists design their work to engage the public not only in the content but in providing them an understanding of the principles by which their work is done will determine whether or not the public can become a force for good journalism the first step in recovering the ground lost as we thrashed around in the fog comes from the understanding of what a growing group of market research people are coming to. The real goal is to learn more about the audience lives, not their media preferences which is a destructively limiting process. The need today is for a more complex information about the changing nature of their lives and the institutions which matter mostly in their daily lives, information that will expand and inform rather than supplant the journalist's own judgment. One of the most important ways citizens can judge whether something is useful, authoritative and reliable is whether it is complete and keeps things in perspective. It is an instinct as old as humankind trading information to learn more, to build a larger more reliable picture that separates gossip from fact. Introducing hype and sensation into the stream of public information demean the source. If journalism has lost its way, the reason, in large part, is that it has lost meaning in people's lives, not only its traditional audience, but the next generation as well. A major reason for this is that journalism, journalists have lost confidence to try to make the news comprehensive and proportional. It's important to take a minute and remind ourselves that we've been through all this before. This post-Cold War period is very similar to what we experienced after World War I. Disillusionment, coupled with economic boom and a new communications technology, radio, the result was the jazz age, the I don't care age, the age in which Walter Winchell and gossip columns were born, the age in which Babe Ruth and Jack Dempsey made sports a million-dollar game, the golden age of tabloid journalism. But the period was also accompanied by a slow strengthening of journalism which attempted to reconnect the citizen to public affairs, a progressive movement toward more professionalism in government and public life in general. Walter Lippmann explained how the news served the progressive government then when he wrote the function of news is to signalize an event the function of truth is to bring to light the hidden facts to set them in relation to each other and to make a picture of reality on which to act that's what the best journalists are after but decades of debate and argument often infected with political ideology or postmodern deconstructionism have confused the notion of truth objectivity is rejected as impossible for subjective individuals it may be true philosophically but it misses the point of what journalistic truth is all about it is not the truth of a philosophic in a philosophical sense it is not the truth of a chemical equation it is the continuous pursuit and presentation of a subject in a way which allows each recipient of that information to know the subject well enough to make an independent judgment about it. It is the organization of the details free of prejudice, clearly documented, and organized in a way which places the subject in a context that is relevant to the decision-making recipient of the news. It is, in short, a process by which journalism attempts to get at the truth in a confused world by stripping it first of the attached misinformation, disinformation, self-promotion information. It is a process that begins with a new story, a news story, signalizing a new thing or event. It may begin simply with an account of he said, she said, for the truth of the matter is seldom discovered by a single reporter in a single story even a story of a car wreck, the time and place of the accident, the damage done, types of vehicles, arrests, unusual weather, road conditions, all of these facts can be recorded in the first story. But the factors which would provide a more meaningful truth, such as responsibility for the accident, would emerge only later, maybe in a trial in court. So journalistic truth is a continuing journey toward understanding a process of refinement by which we navigate in the world that can be frightening or rewarding, depending on how well we understand it. And because it is a process of refinement, we cannot often count on single articles on complex subjects like welfare reform and ever hope to achieve a useful understanding. This notion of journalistic truth is like learning, and it grows as a stalagmite might in a cave, drop by drop, over time. Thomas Griffith, a senior editor for Time magazine, wrote as good a description of journalism as any I know in an article entitled The Pursuit of Journalism in the 1959 issue of Neiman Reports. (coughs) Journalism is, he wrote, in fact, history on the run. It is history written in time to be acted upon. And thereby not only recording events but at times influencing events. Journalism is also recording history while the facts are not all in. Why do journalists miss all this history? Lack of communications is one reason. Journalists are usually self-taught, learned by trial and error, or secondarily by borrowing ideas from their peers. After, educa- after educational psychologist William Damon of Stanford University and Howard Gardner at Harvard studied journalists for several years, one of the most striking impressions they report was the degree which, compared with other industries, journalists failed to communicate the lessons one generation to the next. Not only was as the apprenticeship system broken down, Little or nothing has replaced it. <coughs> Hairdressers, they say, have more continuing education than journalists do. So now we're in the new century. And just as we have yet to solve the problem of race, which W.E.B. Du Bois saw as American society's 20th century challenge, journalists have yet to solve the problem of financing the press completely free of self-interested ownership. In fact, at the beginning of the 21st century, we are seeing for the first time the rise of a market-based journalism divorcing itself from the idea of civic responsibility. Listen to the modern media baron Rupert Murdoch talk of his new markets in Asia. Quote, Singapore is not liberal, but it is clean and free of drug addicts. Material incentives create business in a free market. People are interested more in a better material life than they are in the right to vote." Close quotes. This modern publisher advocating capitalism without democracy has no meaningful precedent in the history of American journalism. And yet there is a growing list of other examples of ownership subordinating journalism to other commercial rights. But these trends are now being challenged by journalists. On a weekend in July three years ago, a couple of dozen journalists, a group which included the likes of David Halberstam and Gwen Eiffel, John Carroll and Geneva Overholzer, met at Harvard to discuss their mutual concern over the impact of the new communications technology and the economic exor- organization of journalism which it had spawned. As one of their members observed, we're consumed with business pressure in the bottom line. The problem is that journalists the problem is that journalists see journalism disappearing in the larger world of communications, and what they yearn to do is to recover journalism from that larger world. The group decided on a plan First, they issued a statement expressing their concern, and second, they formed a new organization called the Committee of Concerned Journalists. The committee is actively engaged now in engaging journalists around the country in a public discussion of what has become the most systematic, sustained, and comprehensive examination ever by journalists themselves and members of the engaged public about what makes journalism what it is. The work has included four, 24 public forums attended by more than 3,000 people, involving testimony from more than 300 journalists, more than 100 three-and-a-half-hour interviews with the best journalists practicing today by our academic partners, uh, and three years of careful study of the history of journalism in Western society. The fruits of that work formed the basis of the book that Tom Rosensteel and I have written, which in turn provides the foundation for a journalism curriculum, which the committee is now taking into newsrooms around the country and, we hope, eventually into the boardrooms of news organizations in an effort to remind the journalists and their owners that so long as they c- claim the rights and protections provided by the First Amendment, their primary allegiance and obligation is to the public. A close reading of history has told us that there are certain enduring ideas about the flow of news and the role of journalism in providing it that can be identified and that these ideas have ebbed and flowed, been misunderstood and abused, but still they are not artificial creations. The elements of journalism are forged and tempered in 300 years of experience and testing in the marketplace of competing forms of information. They stem from the function which news plays in the lives of people. First among these elements is that journalism's first obligation is to the truth. Its first loyalty is to citizens. Its essence is a discipline of verification. Its practitioners must remain independent from those they cover and it must serve as an independent monitor of power. Not only can those who produce journalism use these principles to steer an ethical course in their work, but we ignore them at our peril. The theory of journalism, which we have inherited, formed the basis of the next journalism for a new century, a journalism of sense-making based on verification and fierce independence. These principles hold the only protection against the most insidious force that threatens to destroy journalism today and thus weaken democratic society. The threat that the press will be subsumed inside the world of of commercialized speech. The threat that the First Amendment will no longer be a protector of the public's right to independent information but will become instead a protection for a private commercial right. History has taught us by a bloody experience what happens to societies in which the citizens act on the basis of self-interested information, whether it's the propaganda of a despotic state or the edicts of a Sybaritic leisure class substituting bread and circuses for sovereignty. In this context, it's interesting to notice that no less an economic thinker than James D. Wolfenson, the president of the World Bank, agrees. In a 1999 speech to the World Press Council, Mr. Wolfenson talked of the fundamental importance of equitable economic development to the development of democratic societies. Corruption, he said, is the largest single inhibitor of such a development in the world today, and a free press is absolutely at the core of equitable development. He noted with some despair that six billion people have no access to a free press and the 1.2 billion who do are increasingly served by a press in service more to private profit than to public interest. Western civilization has produced one idea more powerful than any other the idea that people can govern themselves, and it has created a largely unarticulated theory of information called journalism to sustain that idea. History tells us the two ideas will rise and fall together. Thank you, and if you want to have some questions, I'll be...